Hey, hey, welcome back to eCrime Bites Season 1, Episode 11, My Payroll HR's Payroll Woes. So, this is the gentleman we're going to be talking about most of our episode, and I say this as in, I'm talking to you people that are on our visual side, I'm showing you a picture of uh, the defendant, which is Michael Mann. I will uh, also put a his picture in the audio podcast so you can see it as well and you can understand what it is that uh, Seth and I are talking about. But with that, let's go ahead and get start get started with our case summary, Seth. And I I've just been mesmerized the last couple of weeks. How how are we going to have a season or another episode that's going to compare with what we just released last couple of weeks with sex escrow, teaching an ex-wife to drug herself, you name it. It was the craziest episode I think I've read about yet. Well, we can't all have uh, such low-hanging fruit as <laughs> uh, Dr. Shitbag, but I think we'll try to do our best. And uh, as we were just saying before we started, I have a few friends who we know are uh, – are uh, graciously uh, downloading and, and viewing our, our, our podcast here, and who actually are um, you know work in the uh, in the financial world, uh, and some of them do some um, uh, certified fraud work. So this one is right up the alley. So I think we'll keep it entertaining, and um, you know uh, th this gentleman is is no winner either. So we should have some fun with what he was trying to pull. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's go ahead and start with our usual case detail summary, and I'll let's do, do the first one which is the technology. And this one, it's pretty simple. We're not talking about anything real complex. We're just talking about simple electronic business communications. So email, iMessage, text message, SMS, all that kind of stuff that um, you don't have to be a computer person to use. Another thing is um, we're talking about falsifying electronic documents. So the technology is the electronic documents themselves. So Back in the day when everything was on paper, it might be a little more difficult to try to fake some of these corporate things that we're talking about. But in the electronic sense, it's not all that hard some of the time. Right. Um, I was going to say, but there might be logs of the changes made versus old-fashioned ways uh, on paper. No logs. Okay. The crime. So uh, in a word, fraud. All of the fraud. Tons of fraud. Bank fraud, IRS fraud, you name it. It was probably a, uh, a fraudulent related <laughs> uh, situation here. Yeah. And the criminals, it's a few criminals. We know of three, uh, according to what's in the court paperwork. Uh, it sounds like there's more, but we do know of three. And it's three white collar businessmen. The main character that we're going to be talking about, the picture that I showed you, is Michael T. Mann, spelled M-A-N-N. -N. Not the director, Michael Mann. Nope. And so, you know, Seth, I was, when I researched this case, what I, I'm going to skip almost to the, to the end here, which is why this case, when I researched this case, it almost felt like the movie catch me if you can. And the whole time I was researching it, I was thinking of the character in Catch Me If You Can, which is one of my favorite movies, as Michael Mann, uh, when you hear about all these really crazy schemes that he comes up with to basically borrow money and then cover money and so forth. Um, were you going to say something? I was going to say the big difference, though, is, and I also uh, am a big fan of Catch Me If You Can. Um, and, and frankly, I, I followed and I've had the privilege of hearing uh, Frank Abagnale speak, who is the star well, the character is based upon um, the Frank Abagnale is a person who was portrayed in Catch Me If You Can. He's actually a real dude. You should follow up on him. He's actually keep maybe it's worth putting in one of our links. He's an interesting dude. Um, but he was very likable in the movie, um, somewhat. <laughs> uh, Michael Mann, less, not so likable, in my opinion. From what we know, yeah. obviously, keep in mind, obviously, you know, we we only able to pull what we know from publicly available documents. Maybe he's a wonderful father. I don't know. I'll, I'll warn you that there's no flying of planes or anything in here. So if that's what you're looking for, you know, we'll have to get in that in a different episode. Right. But hey, Seth, Seth, you know what you call a CEO that steals m millions of payroll from his own company, right? No. What do a you man, call? a man made disaster. Yeah. So something tells me. 
Yeah, we're going to hear that <laughs> a lot today. We'll see how much we can tolerate. So tell us about the victims, Seth. So the victims here were essentially uh, banks and financing companies, but also ACH companies. And we'll come back to what that is, but it's Automated Clearinghouse for those who are not aware. Uh, we'll explain what that is. And then employees expecting payroll, kind of. Stay tuned to hear more on that. Yeah, and like I'll reiterate it again, but I picked this case because it. when I started reading, I was like, wow, this sounds like Catch Me If You Can, but just a completely different era. And um, the big thing I, I walked away from this case is how? How is this crime still possible? Because it's a very, very low-tech crime that got that netted them tons of money so with that please stay tuned and we will get you right into this episode and tell you all about michael mann and his co-conspirators let's do it Welcome back to E-Crime Bites, Season 1, Episode 11. All right, let's take our let's get our updates out of the way. First update is please help us spread the word about our podcast. So I think now you see we've had enough episodes. We've had some long episodes. We've had some short episodes that we call nibbles. And we have a constant flow of content. So please tell anybody you would think that enjoys humorous, true crime, electronic crime podcast about us. You yourself, please do subscribe to us, whether it's if you watch us on YouTube or if you're on an audio podcasting app, uh, please tell, or when you're on there as well, please give us a five-star review on whatever app it is that you favor. So, Keith, All right. let me ask you a question, yeah. Keith. Has there been any interesting follow-up on our last episode involving our infamous doctor and his wife and girlfriend? I was very surprised to say yes. I was sitting there one day and I got a chime that someone commented on one of our videos and I looked and it's from an author that's their name is Jennifer Ilg and it's basically a correction to our part one episode of threesomes and hitman and I'll go ahead and read it to you. It says correction. She was and then caps not a shared girlfriend. She being who she was, Keith, just so we have some people who are maybe not familiar with our prior episode. Good point. Um, it was the uh, witness one in our last episode who was the girlfriend to the doctor who was trying to kidnap his ex-wife, ex who he was also, well, that's as much as you need to know. Let me explain the rest of it here. So. She goes on to say, correction, she was not a shared girlfriend, meaning the woman outside the marriage. She goes on to say she was his mistress. So it sounds like from this person's account that it's, you know, a girlfriend to the doctor, the male doctor that we talked about in our last episode. She goes on to say he was trying to force her into the marriage. Victim two, which would be the ex-wife in the last episode. Which might be a different not, person than, than Jennifer. Maybe she's like a sister or something to the ex-wife. That's possible. Um, court documents say J.I., though. Yeah, could be another J. I'm just saying she called she, yeah. she everything here is third person. It's interesting. And then she refers yeah. to herself then as victim, too. Rather than yeah. I. So I thought that was interesting. It's a loaded, loaded I, statement. It is. But. I'll get to that in a second. So let me finish reading. It says, sorry, victim two was not willing to accept her, but kept in touch with her because he was abusive and she was scared for the girlfriend's safety. Okay. So I got to give you some caveats. First of all, I'm not going to go verify who this individual is. I'm just reading a comment here. And the comment comes from an individual named Jennifer Ilg about our last comment about Ron Ilg the doctor and the ex-wife and we have the court paperwork that says J.I. is the ex-wife's name. So, you know, immediately I, I got it. And I was like, oh, OK, well, first, I thank 
the person. I was like, oh, thanks for the correction. I didn't notice that in the court documents. But I immediately thought, how did I get that so wrong? How did I read the court documents and just not understand that he was trying to force this girlfriend into the marriage? So I went back and read it. And in the complaint on uh, bullet 17, I'll quote it for you. It says on April 6th. Okay. Let me caveat this. This is the FBI agent writing this about a conversation or the evidence that he has about Ron Ilg in this case. And it says on April 6th, 2021, I participated in an interview with victim two, which is the ex-wife in which she provided background about her relationship with Ilg, who is her estranged husband. Victim two explained that she married Ilg in November of 2020. I'm sorry, 2016 following the birth of their child in May, 2018. Ilg located witness one, which is the girlfriend on the internet and invited her into the relationship with Ilg and victim two. As time passed, victim two increasingly became uncomfortable with the relationship. And then it goes on to say that victim two then was talking about divorce and so forth, which is kind of like later on. So when I read this, this kind of sounds like it was a three way type of relationship. And I, you know, do you have any comments on that before I go on? Yeah, so I guess point worst on case scenario, if it, that's not the right way to describe it. If it wasn't in fact a true threesome situation, it was, I guess the doctor was trying to have literally his cake and eat it too and have his girlfriend and his wife in the same relationship. Um, and I guess that's probably why the wife left. And she was like, that's not really going to work for me. So if we've mischaracterized this relationship as a threesome and in fact was a two plus one, our bad. The court documents weren't clear, but there were indications that were not so subtle that this was a fully consensual three-way situation. I don't know. This episode's not about that, so maybe we should move on. Yeah, so my point on this is I can't verify who the person is. I don't have any reason to believe it's not her. I don't have 100% proof to say it is her. I don't have any way to prove her statement. But I wanted to give it to you, so that way you can then make up your mind. You know, if you wanted to give it 100% weight, go for it. If you want to give it 0% weight, go for it. We try to give you as much evidence as we can uh, that we, we know about, and that's something that we learned since last episode. But we appreciate people are watching and listening, so that's a win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got to tell you, I'm surprised that anybody but my wife listens, and it would be her listening under duress at that, Seth. <laughs> All right, All let's right. talk let's... about Michael Mann. Yep, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about Michael? Sure. So Michael T. Mann is the owner of a company called ValueWise, capital V, capital W. Uh, ValueWise was a consultant or consulted for the very large healthcare company, United Health. Many of you have heard of them. Many of you probably have them as your insurer. I used to. Uh, and their subsidiary, Optum Insight. And that was back from 2013 to 2017. So let's be clear. Michael Mann owns a company that was consulting with a very large health insurer. So Mann told three different financing companies that Optum and UHG or United Health Group, let's just call them United. Can we agree? Call them United Easy. That includes their yeah, subsidiary. Yeah. Uh, falsely owed millions of dollars to his companies. And he had a couple of companies. One was called uh, Focal Point Group. And another one was called Whites and Associates. And then Mann created fake invoices showing this fictitious debt. Keith? Wait, wait, would you would you say manufacturing debt? Yes, manufacturing <laughs> debt. That's two. Um, <laughs> Michael Mann used the fake invoices as loan collateral for millions of dollars. He used other fraudulently obtained loans and lines of credit, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, to pay these fake invoices. And these fake invoices were paid through automated clearinghouse uh, and manipulated the payments to look as if they came directly from United. So I think it's worth kind of just taking a step back because this is a little bit complicated. So we have, and I, we have some documents. You know, let's go forward. We have actually some slides that'll kind of walk us through exactly what happened here. Yeah, so when I started looking at this case, I was like, man, I can barely understand this as I'm going through the research. I don't know how I'm going to explain it to somebody. 
and had them understand it just audio. And so what I did is I started putting together a chart. And I'm going to explain it for the audio only folks as best as I can. But if you're on the video side, it's going to be a lot easier if you're looking at, at this chart. Let me tell you. So what I have is right in the middle, I have Michael Mann's picture. And it's the one actually from his court, um, his, his trial that was. Can we agree, by, though, um, the crime also might be that tie? It's awful. Yeah, it is. It's pretty. All right. Um, so I have and he represents the, the comp. I'll just the companies that I'm air quoting here that he owns in this fraud here. Just generally. Now you've got a, I'm going to show you a normal situation here. OK, if you have a normal company and you have clients, I have it on your right hand side. And what you expect is you do something for clients and the clients pay you. And that's why I made a green arrow going from clients to Michael Mann. Simple enough, right? Let's let's add some complexity. Let's say Michael Mann doesn't do all the work himself, but he pays vendors. Okay. So let's just say he's still taking in the same amount of money, whatever it is. Let's just say a million dollars in this case from clients. And let's say he pays out half a million dollars to his vendors. To do the because, work. Yeah, to do the work or for software or whatever. Just Things he's got to pay for. And that's the blue arrow on your chart there. So that's how a normal company would work. Now, another normal thing for a normal company is, hey, my clients haven't paid me yet, or at least I'm expecting payment from my clients and haven't gotten it yet, but I need basically a payday loan for companies to cover these invoices that these clients that I've billed these clients for that haven't paid me yet. So you, you could basically go to financing companies and say, Hey, I've got a million dollars here that this client owes me on. And even though they haven't paid me yet, I need money basically to tide me over so I can pay my vendors and do business and so forth. And this is just a normal business practice so far. Okay. So what I'm showing you on the screen is a normal business. Yeah, now, it could be a line. Into... That, that financing company could be a line of credit from a bank, which most big companies have. Um, there's a term called factoring, which is similarly, it's basically they're prepaying and then they get a small percentage. So, you know, if they give you $100, you give them $102 back kind of thing. So they make a little bit of money on it. It's basically just to help keep balance sheet healthy. So this is very, very common. And I should have made the arrows different sizes, but the green arrow coming from the client to Michael Mann should be bigger, a lot much bigger than all the arrows going over to vendors or what you're borrowing from financing company in in the real world. Well, but if it's not, I mean, I'm sure some companies run in the red under some promise of bigger money later, but you can only do that so long and so far. Yeah. Okay, so now... What I'm going to show you on your screen is the situation Michael Mann made. And it's, let's take out the arrows from the clients to him, and let's take out the arrow from him to the vendors, so those two payments, but let's keep the arrow from the money coming from the financing companies. And you're wondering, well, how did he do that? Well, that's what we're going to, that's just the background. If you can understand that, that's just the background of this crime, and we're going to fill in the rest of the spots here. Okay. So that's the technical means of how he got money was basically not having a payment coming in and not having a payment coming out, but just still having financing companies paying him. Well, faking it would be the right term. So let's talk about his co-conspirators. Man didn't do this alone. Uh, Derek Schwartz worked at United uh, until 2013, when Mann hired him directly at one of his companies called ValueWise. We talked about that, right? Capital V, Capital V, Capital W. So Mann and Schwartz recruited a third person named Luke Steiner from United for the scheme. So basically, he pulled two people who used to work at a company that he was getting business from, and he poached them. And Luke Steiner used to work also for Derek Schwartz. So they all these people knew each other. So Luke and Derek came in. They were friends. And somehow, man, I guess, um, recruited them to come to work for him. Steiner sent emails from a work account and made phone calls from Optum, from United, 
telling man's financing companies that the fake invoices were real and that they would be paid. Let me repeat that. Steiner's role here was to use communications, right, from a work email and from a phone from United, telling man's financing companies that not real invoices were in fact real and would be paid. And fake paperwork was sent to the financing company for many years um, from company one. And they did this across two different companies. So this was like a dual stream of fraud here. One company was doing it from 2013 to 2019. And the other company that man owns was doing this from 2014 to 2017. So he was really um, hedging his bets here on getting away with fraud. So we could take that last chart that we just talked about with the clients on one side, vendors on the other, man in the middle, financing companies on the bottom. We can now take this and start putting names to these little squares and things on this chart. So under the or the client's box, uh, this is, these are the people that are paying man or fictitiously paying man. We now can add United. We can add, we'll just call them Schwartz and we can add Steiner. We still don't know what the vendors, the financing companies or anything else. We just, we just saw those names so far from the information that we've given you. All right. So Steiner, <clears throat> so Steiner was basically these people inside the fictitious client companies. So United in this case were the, oh, the kingpin, the linchpin. I, I don't know the exact best well, term King, for this. Wouldn't be kingpin. He's the king. Man's the kingpin. But it basically it, it hinged on this person. This person had to vouch for this fictitious money that was coming from a real company over to another real company. So when that would happen, you would have financing companies that would do the due diligence. They would go to United and they would say, hey, does man's company actually expect to get money from you or is he, you know, something fishy? And Steiner was the one that was in United that when those requests came to the real company of United would basically intercept them and say, oh, yep, yep, we own all sorts of money. And this is what's known see, as we, an insider. Yeah. Okay, so now we're early on in the scheme here. We are back in uh, late uh, October, late 2014. And we have an email here that the court provided that is an email from Steiner. This is when he was with United. He was the insider, right, uh, with the financing company one. And essentially what we have here is an email between Mann and Steiner where Mann was directing Steiner to go ahead and enforce payment to this company called Focal Point, which apparently was for over $4.6 million in various invoices. And they're basically saying, you need to pay these invoices. You can ignore these invoices because they're not right. But you need to pay these invoices. And that was definitely done. Um, and they were payable to the financing company directly. So there's your fraud, right? We know that Focal Point is a company owned by Man, And we don't have any evidence that they performed any services, but they were paid $4.6 million for non-services. And you know what it comes to financial fraud a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do yeah, here we go three. <laughs> all right let's move on so now we're in april of 2015 and there's another email from steiner our insider at united with financing company two keith why don't you take this one yeah so basically it's the same thing um it's the financing company saying hey is this whole invoicing that we've been told about, is this correct? And Steiner's inside intercepts it, says, yep, that's correct. We owe them a bunch of money. And then that way the financing company says, oh, we must lend them money because United's going to end up paying them. Um, there's nothing really different. I don't want to read every single email that they sent in here, Seth, because there's nothing really different in it other than it's the amounts and the different times that they're sent. It's like June of one year, September of another year, half a million dollars here, a couple million dollars there. But it's always the same thing where they go to the financing company. The financing company has to, has to basically 
cross their T's and dot their I's and check that the companies actually owe each other. And when they do, they're just lied to by insiders. Right. So it's this would not have simple. worked if Steiner didn't exist or if man didn't have Steiner working him, you know, working there. Um, there's no way, you know, any other person would have been like, well, wait a second. Let me make sure that this vendor is appropriate and make sure they're in our system and make sure that they're actually providing services. So this is where obviously Steiner became super critical. He was the insider uh, allowing man to uh, rip off uh, United for sure. So here it was using his other company, White's. So remember, uh, Man has two companies, three companies. Value-wise, I guess it's the parent company, and then he has two other companies, one called Focal Point Group and one called White's and Associates. So the last email we saw was to Focal Point Group. This is to White's for about half a million dollars. Man, they must be feeling manhandled. That's another one. All right. <laughs> All right, so... What happens next is, so what the FBI and the courts have in their paper, through the process of, you know, the court proceedings, we have the paperwork from the different sides that has the evidence in it. And when you have that, you not only see what the financing companies would have seen at the time, which would have been, you know, this email chain going around of, Hey, do you owe this? Yes, we owe this. Okay. How about you? Yes, they owe us and they're checking it off. But the investigators now have a bigger picture of what, ha what's happening. So they can see things like when emails are sent, man is basically directing things behind the scenes using text messages saying things like, hey, I just sent to you the email for financing company number two. When you get a chance, just reply to all. You can ignore such and such email this week. And then a bunch of pleasantries and so forth. And then people will respond, hey, yes, I'll do it in about an hour. So when you get to trial time and you present somebody with evidence, you say, okay, well, here's the email chain. And maybe they could claim some kind of ignorance or something. But when you have the direction of man at basically the top of this little criminal organization saying, okay, you need to okay this thing. It's coming from this company over to that company for this amount and so forth ends up being a pretty, a pretty big crime. Yeah. And it's probably effective, right? I mean, I don't know what the split was here, but think about it. You know, let's say man spent, I don't know, five, ten thousand dollars in fees to uh, incorporate his companies. As long as he has that insider, right, he can give the insider, you know, whatever percentage, and it's probably going to very quickly pay off, right? So we we already know about five million dollars that we've just seen in fraudulent invoices, and I'm going to actually read the text uh, of the court document here because it's very telling. In his text message, Mann advised the defendant, which is um, uh, Steiner that he sent the email with the false invoices to the defendant and asked the defendant to respond to the email copying the representative financing company too. And of course, the defendant agreed to do so. He was part of the scheme and then responded to man's email and in responding to man's email and copying the representative of financing company too, the defendant falsely represented that United received the three false invoices from whites and would pay the invoices. And as the defendant knew at the time of his email, United never had a contract with Whites, never received invoices from Whites, and never made any payments to Weiss. So whatever amount of money was garnered from this, all man had to do was pay Whites 10, 20%, 10% of $5 million is still a pretty good amount of money. So, you know, and a big company like United, it's a rounding error, right? Not a big deal. Victimless crime. So uh, it's just scary that this was able to happen for a fairly sophisticated entity um, over the course of, what, six, seven years. You keep talking about this huge amount of money. And from man's standpoint, yes, this is a huge amount of money. Wait until you find out how much it was Steiner actually got paid. It, I looked at it and I was like, you got to be kidding me. So hold on. We got that in a few, uh, a few right. slides. All right, so um, late so about October 2014 through July 2015, because this thing has been going on for a while, they realized they need more help. So Schwartz was the person that was working at United, United that Man hired. Right. That's now working for Man, 
and Schwartz is now recruiting additional people. So it's kind of like this big pyramid scheme of criminals, right? Goes, recruits a couple additional people at United to represent to more financing companies that man's invoices are valid and they would be paid by the healthcare company. The co-conspirators here were not named in the court documents. And that's why I think there's a lot more people involved than they're letting on. And I don't know if it's because they well, testified against them or anybody who worked at any of the subsidiary companies of man, right? Whether it's, um, yeah, focal point or whites associates were definitely co-conspirators, whether they were knowingly or otherwise. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, so, the, so this is definitely one of the points where I said, ah, it's more than just these three individuals that we see charged in the document. There's got to be more people on, in, involved here. Um, and again, they said, oh, we need financing because we got to pay our vendors before we're going to get payment. That's how the scheme works, right? That chart that I showed you? Hold on a second. I'll show you the chart again here in a second. So what happened? Financing two. Financing company two, they did their due diligence just like financing company one would do. And they went to the vendors. They say, hey, are you supposed to get money from man? And they say, yep, we are. And then they go to the places that man says owes him money. And they go, you owe man money. And they go, yep, we do. And they said, oh, must be true. And then they give man a bunch of money. And now man has a bunch of money to spend. So here's an interesting thing. I, I thought this was really interesting tidbit. So from 2014 to 2018, Schwartz, this is the person that, sorry if I'm repetitive, I'm trying to give you the lay of the land here. This is the person that man hired from United. Schwartz had a company called True HR. He had, or basically he sent emails from True HR as part of this scheme between 2014 and 2018. The company didn't even exist after 2016. So it was like they were just blatantly just using company, you know, names and emails and so forth that didn't even exist anymore as part of their scheme, which is just incredible to me. So let me show you this, this organizational chart once again, and I'll try to describe it for the audio folks. You have your clients on the right-hand side, which is where our money's coming in from. United. You have our vendors on our left-hand side, so our money's going out, and man's in the middle, right? He's getting a bunch of money from financing companies, but he's not actually getting any money from clients, and he's not actually giving any money to vendors. So now we have the other players under these components in the organizational chart. Under clients, we have uh, United Health as one of those fake clients for man. You have Schwartz because he used to work there. And then you have Steiner who currently works there. And you actually have a couple other people that Schwartz had started to um, recruit as part of the scheme. On the left-hand side under vendors, now we know True HR is one of their quote unquote vendors. Um, Focal Point is actually, we already talked about them and I do have them in a slide coming up again soon, but Focal Point would be also be on the left-hand side for vendors. And then Schwartz is sort of the mastermind on that side. So he's the individual that I've pegged on that portion of the organizational chart. So let's move forward in time to late November, uh, sorry, early November, late 2016. Uh, there's an email here from Steiner with Finance and Company 2. This is regarding invoices, fake invoices, totaling $370,000. So in the body of the email, Mann had wrote, had written, uh, enclosed are the invoices from last week and they match to your assistance consolidated invoices. I have them as detail attached. Can you verify that you have received this by replying to all in this email? And later in the day, the defendant responded to Mann copying the representative of Finance Company 2 and wrote, I have received these. So you have very, very blatant emails from the actual players here uh, admitting to being you know, involved in this uh, fraudulent transaction, which is interesting. They didn't have some other you know, uh, person doing it, working in payroll. Uh, they were literally taking on the scheme themselves, which I guess is ingenious and also fairly blatantly terrible <laughs> because they could never even to say, I didn't know. 
and it, it, they go on. Um, I'm not going to go through all the details, but they continue on sending these fake payments. There's another one for $191,000 where Schwartz was involved with that same scheme, exact same scheme. But one thing I thought was really interesting was this particular phrase. They said, enclosed are the weekly vendor payments. Now, why that caught my attention was a lot of times with these court documents, all you see is what they charge. And what they charge is never all of the crime typically they usually charge a subset of something that they can prove you know the biggest subset of whatever it is that they can prove out of all the crimes that the person committed so when i read this i'm immediately thinking vendor weekly vendor payments oh my gosh they probably they're probably doing this on a weekly basis we're only seeing like a month here fast forward six months and month there you know one hundred ninety one thousand dollars. they are clearing probably well, we will see just obscene amount of money on a very, very low tech crime for <laughs> low tech for a electronic crime. So also in uh, November of 2016, there's an email regarding man and Schwartz. So remember Schwartz is the uh, co-conspirator who was um, hired by man from United, who also had that uh, separate uh, true HR company, which was involved in the scheme here. Uh, so man sent an email transmitted in interstate commerce. That's important because that involves federal crime uh, to Schwartz titled, quote, another item in which man mentioned Schwartz's work, ongoing work with Steiner to defraud the financing company and the possibility that he would pay off the loans extended by the financing company so that Steiner would not have to lie to the company any longer. Derek, I know you have been working with Luke. I do have an update for you to give him as well. We can talk about this live when we get time. I was hoping to drop off financing company one this month. It is now looking beginning of 2017. When we talk, I will explain. Just remember this and bring it up. Mike, as in Michael Mann. That's very interesting. So there, they actually are looking to stop, I guess, continuing to defraud financing company one. I guess maybe things were getting too hot. We don't know if there was any kind of questions or audits or things along those lines, but I have to imagine that was the case. Well, here's a new tidbit we just gave you in this little true crime episode, which is they plan to pay back some of the fraud. So immediately you should go, how are they going to pay back their loans when they basically are getting them fraudulently? Well, like any good Ponzi-ish scheme, you know, you just got to do crazy you got to do more crazy stuff to cover your prior bets right if you have a hundred thousand dollars the first time well we'll take out a million dollars that'll cover that hundred thousand dollars well you got to cover that million dollars now well we'll do it two million dollars and basically it just keeps ratcheting up and that's you're gonna see where we keep talking about this same crime over and over and over there's gonna be a shift in their crime and it's basically to cover some of this stuff that we're talking about now so I just wanted to give you the the overview of what you you're going to be seeing coming at you. Um, so if we fast forward, not quite a year, but the next year, it's January nineteenth, two thousand seventeen. You have, um, Man and Schwartz, basically the two that work in Man's companies, talking about Steiner, who is their insider at United. And the important thing here is Steiner's now thinking about getting a job somewhere else, which probably makes these criminals shit a brick because they're making hundreds of thousand dollars and millions of dollars. And it all counts on that hinge of that insider saying, yep, we owe money. Well, now Steiner, the person that's the insider, is thinking about getting a job. So you have a man emailing Schwartz, which is Derek, and he says, Derek, I know you're, you hate getting emails from me. This is not a bad one. You said Luke has an offer in hand and may take it. I know you're going to talk with him about staying put a little longer. The other thing I need you to do is plan on who will take over for Luke to do the verification. Verifications as in the fraud, just so we're clear. <laughs> the fraud. Yep, the fraud. We might need a couple people. We can discuss this the next time we talk as well. So there's like some key points in this email you want to 
take away from this. One is, like Seth said, the fraud. But the other is we need a couple of people. So it sounds like they're ratcheting things up, in my opinion. You think so, Seth? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm assuming as things grow, maybe uh, he's living large and is spending more money on, I don't know, expensive stuff that he was using with stolen money. I don't know. Um, but uh, I think your earlier point is, you know, as you keep ratcheting it up to cover the old crime, you know, it has to grow larger and larger. So it could be. But I'm also pretty thinking that, you know, having a single point of failure is never a good idea in anything you have, right? So if your main um, source of income is coming from the insider there who's looking to leave, maybe if you have multiple insiders, you know, it gives you a little bit uh, wider bandwidth. So regardless, so now we're still at the, uh, in, early Jan in early 2017, end of January, there's another email that the court did, uh, has disclosed. This is a Steiner email with financing company too. This is for fake invoices totaling uh, over $714,000. In the body of the email, Mann writes, enclosed are the invoices for this week and they match to your assistance consolidated invoices. We've seen that language before. I have them as detail attached. Can you verify that you have received this by replying to all in this email? Again, we've seen that before. And then later in the day, the defendant um, who was Steiner, responded to Mann, copying the representative financing and wrote, thanks, Mike. So that, that um, again, is just another example, I think, uh, of uh, a fraudulent email. But my point is, I guess, Steiner was still added as, uh, as, as late as early Jan as late as early 2017. Yep. And there are times when Steiner, which is the insider, he started having second thoughts or just having discomfort with doing what he was doing. Um, maybe his conscience caught up with him. Um, but man and Schwartz, they were based, they were, they sold it hard. Um, so they have the FBI and the court documents show that they have messages in between Schwartz and uh, man that, Talk about how basically they're um, pressuring Steiner to continue with being the insider, even though, you know, A, Steiner wants to leave, and B, it sounds like he's having uh, second thoughts. And we have the exchange, and there's only one real, usually Seth and I do a role play thing, but there's not enough here for that. There's only one real uh interesting passage here and i'll go ahead and read this this is from schwartz it says i spoke to luke this morning luke this is steiner luke. by the way it's luke steiner yep i spoke to luke and covered everything he seemed normal i'm set up to talk with him again tomorrow and or the next day i'm also queued up to come to town and have lunch with him if you want me to call you i could probably call in about an hour and then basically it says you know it, there's some pleasantries of hey yep all right and the reason why I read you things like this is not to bore you. It's to show you that if any of these criminals say, oh, it was accidental, someone accidentally misinterpreted something that I said. Well, in this case, we have text messages earlier, a couple points ago, Seth and I were talking about. And now we have iMessages between the two basically saying, hey, we got to. We got to make sure we keep this thing going. We got to right. make sure we got to make sure our guy is not going to bail on us. Because I'm assuming this guy Luke was like, "All right, I've been committing fraud for a long time. I don't know how much he was getting paid. I'm curious to see where we go with that." Um, and he's like, "You know, maybe if I can get out of this situation, get a new job, and if Man and Schwartz can leave me alone, I can kind of restart my life with a few dollars in my pocket, and hopefully, I don't lose sleep or go to jail for the rest of my life." And that's not how it worked out, but. Definitely Schwartz and Mann are co-conspirators here in trying to uh, coerce or continue to uh, ensure that their meal ticket does not leave the company and that he's still on board with their scheme. Yeah, and you're going to see probably the reason why Steiner is having second thoughts when you see his takeaway from this or his haul from this big criminal enterprise. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about is another uh, communication in August of 2017 between Mann and Schwartz. Mann sent an iMessage to Schwartz and says, I still need Luke Steiner to approve the financing company's invoices. Just be careful what you say to him. We can discuss if you, if you need to discuss. Which basically, if you read between the lines there, it basically says, 
I don't trust him. Maybe he's going to rat us out or something along those lines. But they think that there's something up with Steiner. And we know that Steiner earlier, you know, obviously has issues with what he was doing. So now we're into uh, March of 2017. There's another email that the court disclosed uh, from Steiner with Finance and Company One. So this is uh, confirming the uh, sending of fake invoices from Focal Point, that's one of Mann's companies, to United for $3.7 million in rendered services that were never rendered. Uh, in the body of the email, Representative One wrote, total outstanding and owed to Finance and Company One as of today uh, which was early March of 2017, is uh, almost 3.7, well, $3.7 million is the specific number. Um, followed by, would you please confirm by returning this email that, one, you show that United Health Optum has these invoices listed on the aging and you show them as correct and owing for the account of Focal Point Group LLC, and that, two, you show them payable to financing company one as the assignee. And later in the day, and after his final text message to Mann, the defendant, Steiner, responded to Representative One and wrote, looks good, payment should be coming on 1420 and 1421, meaning the invoices had associated numbers of 1420, 1421. So you still had, as of March of 2017, Steiner still on board with this fraud. And again, this is for fairly big money. This is for, you know, $3.7 million. <laughs> fairly big. That's big money, man. That's big money. Yeah, so if we update this whole organizational crime chart that we've been talking about, I'm not going to go through it again for the audio, but all I added was on the vendors, the left-hand side now, we added the company Focal Point in addition to True HR and Schwartz. So we sort of have this full picture of how this crime works from the clients who are United Health, Schwartz, and Steiner. Well, Schwartz part of the time and Steiner. And the vendors are Focal Point, True HR, and Schwartz once he was hired by man. Keith, you want to take this one? Yep. So October 25th, 2017, we have more iMessages between the two. So again, why are we telling you this? It's because it shows that man and Schwartz we're deeply involved in this. This was not an accidental thing where they just accidentally became crim criminals. You have them sending iMessages that say, you probably received a verification email from the financing company today. You can respond that you received the check. You have to make sure you send it from your true HR account. That is a that must. Is a must. That is a must. That same day, Schwartz received an email from the representative from that company and says, I hope. It's finding you well. When you have a moment, please confirm True HR's receipt of White's and Associates check such and such for $308,000, to which Schwartz replied falsely from his True HR email address. This is confirmed. As Schwartz well knew at the time, he responded that no, no, really, True HR did not receive a check from White's anywhere around that time or true and, HR. And it was not even in business at the time yeah, yeah. true <laughs> hr remember earlier when i said there was these time periods for true hr and true hr went out of business at 2016 well we're talking about october 25th 2017 now so it was not even in business minor oversight here so end of um now we're in early of 2018 so we're moving forward in time. This is an email from uh, Mr. Mann and Mr. Schwartz. So uh, the court states that Mann sent an email to Schwartz with the subject line, check your true HR email. Again, the company that's been out of business for two years. And after Schwartz used his true HR email account that I'd note that the company has been out of business for two years um, to send an email to financing company two, falsely confirming true HR's purported receipt of check from White's he sent Mann an email stating, thanks, I responded. And about 40 minutes later, Mann sent Schwartz an email stating, I assume you sent it from your true HR email. I know it is stupid of me to say this every time. 
To which Shorts responded, not stupid at all. I have the same conversation with myself every time I commit fraud. All right, I added those two words. Um, (laughs) And double check the from address to ensure that I select the correct account and that everything populates correctly. So this is evidence that they had a very, very clear schema and were checking each other to make sure that they were following the specific protocol to ensure that their fraud was going to continue. So on January 25th, 2018, Schwartz also sent a second response to Mann's email stating, in fact, I even checked the account to which Representative 2, the finance company, responds when she sends me a thank you email. I am over the top sensitive to these details. So he's basically telling Mann, yo, I am just as paranoid about getting busted as you are. So I am taking all the precautions by triple checking and double checking all my to and from email accounts, including True HR, which, as I might have mentioned, was out of business for two years at this point. <laughs> oh, gosh. And Seth, oh, this next thing, this blows my mind. So it's like all this fraud going on, right? Now, here's the point where things start to ratchet up and it just things start to change a little bit. So August 18th, I'm sorry, August 8th of 2018 man starts to pretend to be Luke Steiner. So he creates this email address called Luke.Steiner at optome-insight.com, which the best I can tell is not the right domain for United, the Optum United normal, like the, the domain that belongs to the real company. And he basically then starts pretending he's Steiner because I don't know if it's, they didn't have another insider or what it is, but if all the fraud that wasn't enough that they did at this point, now they have pretending to be somebody else through a fake email account to add to the record. And it just happens that um, it, it, it's comical to read it in the court paperwork and it's kind of, it's a little too lengthy to read it, but it starts with basically man sending an email ad- an email from man's account to from his valuewise account to the fake Steiner account saying something along the lines of Luke, please review the attached letter and make sure that the AR or the accounts receivable in the closed letter is approved. Okay. That's half the picture. Now he must log into the fake Luke account and then he, He replies and he says, I did verify that the invoices in the document match our approved invoices in our system. You should see payment for invoices such and such and such and such between Friday and next Tuesday. So he's got this whole little scheme going on between all these. He's communicating with himself using different email accounts, trying to spoof the United account to prove that United, this is to prove to the financing company. Yeah, of course. Of course, the big vendor, uh, sorry, of course, the big client's going to pay us. See, here's email showing that they're going to pay us. I wonder at this point, though, Keith, if if uh, Steiner was out, because now we're at the you know tail end of August of 2018. So I'm not sure if he at this point had left United or decided he no longer wanted to be uh, the pawn here. Yeah, not not sure exactly in the court paperwork because they only give you the stuff for the evidence, and sometimes there's little little snippets where you're kind of missing things. Yeah, for sure. But what I what I thought was really interesting was if you take away morals and ethics. And then you add creativity. It's like this guy gets bonus points, right? It was like I run into a problem. No problem. Not a problem for me. I'm just going to make a fake account. I'm going to pretend I'm Steiner. It's crazy. You know, for me, though, it was kind of like almost like a lowering of standards. Like it's one thing if you want to create, you know, shell companies to funnel money through, you know, in an effort to rip off a big company. That's kind of like white collar fraud that like you almost want to be like, okay. But like to create a fake email account and to create fake email communications, spoofing somebody, I don't know. I feel like that's a lower level. That's more shitbaggy in my personal opinion. I don't know. It's more shitbaggy, less shitbaggy. It's all awful, but it's less sophisticated. How's that? Yeah. And one of the things, um, so it's kind of unclear what's going on with Steiner at this point, if he's left the company or what, but later on in August 27th of 2019 there's more according to the court paperwork there's more communication uh from steiner from steiner and it's yeah not so clear. now we're at right so now we're at the uh 
we're in August of 2019, and there's another court document. It's an email. It's a Steiner email with financing company one here, and this is our fake invoices for over 3.6 million from Focal Point again, which is one of Man's companies, um, to Optum. So this is in reverse, which is interesting, right? So in the body of the email, the representative wrote, total outstanding and owed to the financing company as of today would be 3.6 million. Followed by, would you please confirm by returning, confirming this email one, that you show that United Health Optum has these invoices listed on the aging and you show them as correct and owing for the account of Focal Point Group. Again, we've seen that language before. And you show them payable to financing company as assignee. A day later, the defendant forwarded the email that's the defendant being man, sorry, um, Steiner. So Steiner clearly was still at, at United at this point and wrote FYI. A man responded, this looks good. Invoices 1680 and 81 to be paid this week. The defendant in turn res responded to a representative from the financing company and wrote, this looks good and payment should be coming on those two invoices. So even as, I guess, long story short, even as late as 2019, Steiner was still involved in this scheme and was still actively committing fraud on behalf of man. So I kept alluding to how much money did Luke Steiner make out of this? What was his haul? All right. Well, before this. we answer it, let's ask the question. How much money would it take for somebody to throw out their career and their morals and to rip off their employer to, you know, put at risk, you know, how much money would it take? You know, how much money do you need to put all those things in jeopardy? I'm thinking millions of dollars would be the going rate. I mean, not knowing anything. At least millions of dollars, right? Well, if they're hauling in millions, you would think... It, you would want at least a million. If they're making like $20 million, you'd want like a million, right? Well, look, I don't know what man and... And, um, and uh, who's the other gentleman? Schwartz's... Uh, outlay was right i mean we also don't know if they were doing this with other companies or if united was their only main victim here we don't know that but assuming that they were still pocketing seven figures each on this and that this only worked because of steiner steiner was the linchpin steiner was the the only way this ever worked i, I would expect more so keith why don't you tell our audience how much and how they got it it's almost like an fu too and how they paid them well, yeah, there's two two kickers here. So the first one is he made $11,300. You heard me right. Just over $11,000 for all this fuckery that made his friends or acquaintances at least millions of dollars. But then how do you think they paid him? You think they paid him cold hard cash or something like that? No. Amazon gift cards. <laughs> so he's got to buy $11,000 worth of shit off of Amazon to basically make his money off of here. You think they covered his Amazon Prime? Or maybe that was uh, not even included. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, Seth, I, I know you're you're already waiting for me to for me to say that it just sounds like man was the Master manipulator. He was a man manipulator <laughs> for sure. That was might be the worst one you've done today. So congratulations. Oh, they get worse. They get oh, worse. Great. Hold on. So financing company, they have losses. They're the ones that actually were out the money, right? They paid money that they lost. Everybody else lost stuff, but it wasn't money like these companies lost so there's three companies that they didn't specify who they were in the court paperwork and it doesn't really matter who they are but the the totals for each are the following the first company was 3.1 million mind blown second one was 9.9 .9 million mind blown so now we're up to about what 12 13 and the third company was 4.1 million which brings our grand total up to 17.1 million all possible is, because of one dude who got 11 grand in gift cards which is gift still, cards i still really can't process that gift cards so hey i hope you really enjoyed this episode so far we are going to pause here i know i hate it when I, this happens when i watch tv shows and stuff but that's part one 
we're going to give you the second half of part two because the crime completely shifts. So we've been talking about one type of crime all the way up to this point. Now things get really batshit crazy with a bunch of other crimes to try to cover up this crime. And we're going to cover all those in part two. So I hope you come back and check us out. And meantime, do go to our website. It's ecrimebytes, E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y is in yellow. Yellow is in yellow milk. T-E-S dot com. So hope to see you next week on part two of my payroll, HR's payroll rolls. See you then. Thanks all.